Hey, everybody. It is Friday, October 27th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, we should begin and note that today the internet tells me October 27th is National Beer Day, National American Beer Day. Do you have a favorite? You know, I'm actually more of a wine drinker, sangria, hard liquor. I feel like I sound like an alcoholic, but no, I'm just not really a beer drinker. What about you? So I'm going to go with a Chicago hometown uh, favorite. Goose Island produces a bunch of beers, including 312. So I'm going to pick them as my uh, American beer for today. Though we should also note that later in the podcast, we will be talking about Sober October and that trend. Did you participate in Sober October? You know, I've really cut down of late. So not completely. I probably had a drink. I think I had a Bloody Mary over the weekend. But, you know, there are some benefits to cutting down on that. So really only dabbling with a beverage probably once a month these days. Well, you also Um, have a newborn baby and your wife wasn't drinking. Right. So I feel like things were working in your favor towards the non-alcoholic trend. Yeah, yeah. 2023 has been that way for me. (laughs) Also, this weekend, early Halloween festivities begin. Anything planned on your end? We've got a couple of Halloween parties for the adults, for the kids. Uh, So I feel like we're all in on Halloween this year. Normally, we just try to like survive it, uh, but we're, we're going all in. Do you guys have a costume yet for baby Olivia? I'm told we have multiple costumes. We will be rolling those out probably over on the Instagram account when we fully go. But we do have some, I think we have some family theme costume plans. Oh, come on. Tell us, tell us. <laughs> One has to do with a beloved child's cartoon character. And I think we have Al, do we? Yeah, she. I think Al had, by the second trimester, already had some costume plans for Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to deal with it now. And you know what? Smart, because if we had so many gaps, I would never have been able to. Yeah, yeah. So we have a couple family themes, and you'll probably see it over on the Mo News Premium Instagram account uh, in the coming days. Can't wait. All right, Moshe, I guess we should talk about some news, right? Do we have to? <laughs> I really don't want to because it's so depressing. But We should say we have some depressing stuff, but then some not so depressing stuff at the end. Okay, so uh, here are the headlines. What we know about the mass shooting in Maine as the manhunt for the shooter continues. The latest from the Middle East. Is there a deal in the works for Hamas to release a large number of hostages? We'll tell you what we know. Plus, the humanitarian situation continues to deteriorate in Gaza and the White House weighing in on growing anti-Semitism on college campuses. Switching gears to the U.S. economy, the GDP grew at a nearly 5 percent rate, better than expected in the last quarter. What economists now say about the chances of a looming recession, the app formerly known as Twitter. Not doing so great since Elon Musk took over. We have the numbers when it comes to usage. Google Maps is becoming more like Google search. But Mosh, is that what the people want? Jill, I will say I'm sort of into a smarter Google Maps. I feel like it's time to take things to the next level. All right. We've heard of dry January. How about sober October? Sales are spiking for non-alcoholic drinks, as we were just talking about. And we do love music history on this podcast. How about some music future? The Beatles' final song will be out next month with the help of AI. Plus, it is Friday, what we are watching, reading, and eating. Let's start with the latest on that mass shooting that we told you about yesterday. It took place in Lewiston, Maine, just outside of Portland at a bowling alley and a restaurant. 
And as of this recording on Thursday night, there was a police standoff outside of the complex of homes where the suspect's family lives in Bowdoin, Maine. And Jill, it appears after several hours of that standoff, police were not able to find him and he remains on the loose as of late Thursday night. Earlier in the day on Thursday, police issued an arrest warrant for 40-year-old Robert Card. Authorities say that he shot and killed at least 18 people and wounded another 13. He is a trained firearms instructor. On Thursday, communities across Maine had to shelter in place as law enforcement searched for him. He's considered armed and dangerous. The Canada Border Services Agency, they even issued an armed and dangerous alert to their officers stationed along the Canada-U.S. border, warning them to be on the lookout for card. Dozens of FBI agents helped in all aspects of the investigation. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, they sent about 40 agents to help, one of their biggest deployments in recent years. Here is what we know about the shooting. It started just before 7 p.m. on Wednesday night at Spare Time Recreation. That is a bowling alley. And then about 10 minutes later, police say they received calls of another shooting at Shemenji's Bar. Uh, That's about four miles away or 10 minutes by car. A number of parents and children were at spare time as part of a children's bowling league. Jill, a number of members of Maine's deaf community uh, were also killed in the mass shooting. A number of friends were gathered at one of the locations on Wednesday night. I was listening to an interview with a young girl who was shot but is okay. And she was basically just saying, you know, why would somebody do this? How is this even happening? And I think her innocence and the way that she was asking it, it it pretty much sums up what I think most Americans are thinking every time we have one of these mass shootings. Yeah, it's what you hear from all these communities. Like, I didn't think it could happen here. And in this case, just, you know, innocent people, you know, we're talking about the, you know, members of the deaf community who apparently would gather Wednesday nights to play cornhole together. Just, you know, a weekly activity with friends. And they're among the victims here. Okay, so what do we know about the suspect? Card is enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserve since 2002. He has an active military ID, and that gives him access to any military base. And he also has a history of mental illness. Yeah, he didn't have any combat deployments. He was a what they call a petroleum supply specialist, though in recent months, uh, apparently has been experiencing a number of mental health issues, including hearing voices, and actually threatened to shoot up a military base um, in Maine. He had made some statements about uh, wanting to commit violence at the National Guard base. And during training recently, that was noticed by higher ops. He was taken by police for an evaluation after military officials became concerned about his erratic behavior in mid-July. He was actually committed to a mental health facility for two weeks this past summer. Though Maine imposes few limits on firearms, it's an outlier in New England when it comes to that. It has what's called a yellow flag law, different from a red flag law. We've told you about red flag laws that allow law enforcement in nearly two dozen states to detain a suspect who they believe is mentally ill, poses a threat to others, and take away their weapons. Now, in Maine, they've added extra restrictions. This yellow flag law, which first requires police to get a medical practitioner to evaluate the person, find them to be a threat, and that's when police can then petition a judge in order to seize firearms. Gun control advocates have said, you know, that's ham-handed, creates way too much red tape, is unlikely to be used. The state does have some pretty loose laws, and there are questions here as to whether he was considered formally committed versus just committed and the impact that has on whether you can still own a gun. We're still waiting on details on how long he's owned these guns, because what happens after you're committed, if you're formally committed by a judge, 
that's when they send a note to all firearms dealers saying, you know, you can't sell new weapons to this person. Uh, the question is whether he had previous weapons. There's a lot of questions here still as we're 24 hours in that we're waiting answers for as to what took place here and what sorts of laws need to be put in place to prevent something like this from happening in the future. Jill, we should note, Maine is a state, I think we mentioned it on the pod yesterday, that only had 29 homicides last year. Um, so this is, you know, just a tragedy of epic proportions that, you know, 18 killed in one event here in a state that doesn't see this sort of thing. Frankly, the concern they have in Maine is more about suicide by gun as opposed to homicide. And the big picture here, according to the Associated Press, it is the 36th mass killing in the United States this year. They define that as four or more people, excluding the offender, having been killed within a 24-hour time frame. So, Jill, right now we're pacing one a week, basically, for the year. Okay, now to the latest in the Middle East. Let's start with the hostages. Israeli media is reporting that advanced talks are underway to release a significant number of hostages and that it could happen, quote, within a few days. The Israeli newspaper Haaretz saying that there has been significant progress in hostage negotiations led by Qatar over the past day. The goal that Israel laid out was the release of all of the hostages in one event, but it isn't clear if that ambitious proposal will come to fruition A Qatari minister on the negotiating team says, quote, we have reached a breakthrough. There are positive developments. The Israeli government says more than half of the estimated 220 hostages held by Hamas have foreign passports from 25 different countries. And that includes 54 Thai nationals. Yeah, there are tens of thousands of Thai workers who work inside Israel. And a lot of them work on these um, kibbutzes, several of which were invaded by the Hamas terrorist group on October 7th. So there were a number murdered and pretty remarkably, one out of four hostages happens to be from Thailand. And it is looking like Israel's highly expected ground invasion is very close to happening. Israel's military said that it carried out a, quote, targeted raid overnight in northern Gaza using tanks. Airstrikes have also continued. Israeli forces say they killed the deputy head of the Hamas intelligence directorate, who they say is partially responsible for planning the attacks on October 7th. Yeah, they called uh, Shadi Baroud a major co-conspirator, a planner of the October 7th attack. The Israelis also released footage showing his building being taken out by Israeli forces. The Israelis have been sort of doing what uh, the U.S. had post 9-11 in the Iraq war, where they're basically putting up the images of the various Hamas leaders they've been taking out on a daily basis. It does come as the U.S. is close to having its second aircraft carrier group in the region. The Eisenhower uh, has made it into the Mediterranean, so it's getting close. The U.S. wants to deploy and have more anti-aircraft assets and all their military assets in place before an Israeli ground invasion, especially with the concern that Iran may escalate things. The Americans want to have all the assets they need. It comes as there was another attack on a U.S. base in Iraq on Thursday. That now means at least 16 attacks against U.S. assets in Iraq and Syria in recent days from Iranian-supported groups. That's Hamas, Hezbollah, and the various terror groups that they sponsor across the region. Notably, it did come as Thursday. There was a meeting in Moscow, Russia with Hamas, Iran, and the Russians for a summit to discuss the next steps in their war. The meeting was condemned by Israel, notably in the last couple of years as the Ukraine-Russia war has been going on. The Israelis have been sort of hedging. Uh, Netanyahu is trying to keep a relationship with Putin uh, for a variety of reasons, including the number of Jews who still live in Russia. 
Putin doesn't seem to care about any of those moves Israel made in the last two years. He is uh, doubling down on this alliance with Iran. Iran now supports his war in Ukraine, sending him drones, etc. And so pretty notable meeting that, you know, Hamas representatives were in Moscow. That's a day after Hamas, Hezbollah, and Islamic Jihad, those terror groups all had a meeting in Beirut. So most interestingly, though, this appears to be the new alliance, Russia, Iran, and China, actually. Yeah, China not at that meeting, as far as we know, Thursday, but certainly has also been building up a relationship with the Iranians. Uh, they're actually the biggest buyer of Iranian energy assets. And of course, China has been hedging and sort of giving help to its little brother, Russia, as much as it can, though China, you know, very circumspect in its statements. But this is increasingly being noticed in this war. You see a new dividing line in the globe. And there's an opportunity here for China, Russia, Iran to put a chink in the U.S. armor. And the U.S. is certainly recognizing that. China, by the way, does have a few ships in the region as well, monitoring things. Uh, some of them predate this war. But China sees itself as a global power and is beginning getting involved here. So it's something we all need to be watching. Meanwhile, we've been talking about the massive fuel shortage in Gaza. The main UN agency helping Palestinians there says once again, it will have to stop aid operations in Gaza within a day if fuel is not delivered. We've been hearing these warnings for a few days about the fuel shortage. Uh, they, in fact, the UN tweeted that out in a response you know, this war is on all levels. The Israelis tweeted at the UN, posting an aerial photo of fuel tanks in Gaza, saying, hey, Hamas actually has more than 500,000 liters of fuel. You should probably ask Hamas for some fuel, was their response to the UN warning they were running out of fuel in Gaza. The Israelis basically saying, Hamas is the government, you should talk to them about fuel before begging for more fuel to be let in. You know, the Israeli concern with fuel, by the way, is that that's how Hamas operates its rockets. They've launched more than 7,000, along with Islamic Jihad. They're moving them around. So clearly, as far as the Israelis are concerned, there is enough fuel to continue the war being perpetrated against them. So maybe, you know, they should consider giving it to the poor civilians. Nonetheless, the UN, the aid agencies, the poor Palestinian civilians stuck in the middle here. It comes as the EU called for a pause in fighting. Europeans are sort of split here. You have the Germans, French standing with Israel so far, the Spanish, the Irish saying it is time to stop the fighting. The UN, by the way, General Assembly will be set to vote today on a resolution That'll probably go through, given the kind of makeup of the UN these days. Calling for a ceasefire, though, it is a UN General Assembly resolution, which means it has no teeth behind it. The big concern when it comes to a ceasefire, as far as the Americans, the Israelis are concerned, is they don't believe that Hamas deserves a ceasefire unless it releases the hostages, number one. And two, that they still have significant capabilities within Gaza to launch rockets, uh, perpetrate terror attacks. So as far as they're concerned, they want to continue to take out Hamas leaders, uh, do damage to Hamas's terror infrastructure before they agree to any pause in the fighting. Yeah. And with the international community asking for that humanitarian pause, it comes as new satellite images show absolute devastation in Gaza from those Israeli airstrikes. Yeah. The Economist magazine did an analysis that they believe, based on their analysis of the photos, that one in 10 residential structures has been destroyed so far in Gaza during this war. And Al Jazeera says that the family of one of its news reporters has been killed in an Israeli airstrike on Gaza. They say that Wael al-Dauda's wife, teenage son, young daughter and grandson 
all killed at a refugee camp in central Gaza. They say the family had been displaced from their home in northern Gaza and then moved south to central Gaza as a way to stay safe. And he did an emotional report on Al Jazeera yesterday. Jill, more than a dozen journalists have died so far in the fighting in Gaza and what's happening in the Middle East spilling over here in the U.S. We've been talking about it. The White House on Thursday called out what it says is anti-Semitic actions of some of the students protesting against Israel on American college campuses since the outbreak of the war two weeks ago. The White House Deputy Press Secretary putting out a statement saying just over the past week, we've seen protests and statements on college campuses that call for the annihilation of Israel, for the genocide of the Jewish people. Jewish students have even had to barricade themselves inside buildings. That was an incident at Cooper Union College in New York on Wednesday. The statement goes on to say delegitimizing the state of Israel while praising the Hamas terrorist murderers who burned innocent people alive or targeting Jewish students is the definition of anti-Semitism. The comments appear to be the furthest that the White House has gone yet to weigh in on some of the campus debates and some of these rallies that have moved beyond pro this or pro that uh, and have called for violence. I mentioned the Cooper Union College incident. That's where Jewish students were literally locked in the school's library for 20 minutes as demonstrators pounded on the doors shouting anti-Israel slogans. Yeah, motion at GW, a group of students projected messages like divestment from Zionists, genocide now, and free Palestine from the river to the sea onto the exterior of a campus building. And most for people who are not familiar with the geography of the region, from the river to the sea basically means um, no Israel. Yeah, it's actually an expression that the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO terror group, uh, came up with in the 60s and 70s. Um, So many Israelis, when they hear uh, Palestine from river to sea, uh, wonder where their place is in that future precludes a two-state solution. So it's made a lot of Jewish students uncomfortable on these campuses. At Tulane, police arrested two people near the campus. There was a demonstration over the war that turned violent. And police say they are still reviewing security footage and more arrests are possible. In Florida, the governor there, Ron DeSantis, has actually called for a ban on the group Students for Justice in Palestine, arguing that some of their sloganeering, some of their planning is actually in coordination with Hamas, with a terror group, and he believes breaks laws. So that's a free speech debate that has moved beyond things. So that's something we will monitor. Um, Jill, I should note, I'm a GW alum. I went to George Washington University for both my undergrad and graduate degrees. And so it's pretty remarkable to see some of the phrases that were projected on a library by a handful of students. I've certainly been hearing from a lot of my fellow alums. There's actually a number of uh, members of Congress, I think seven members of Congress who went to GW, who wrote a letter to the university saying you need to do more to condemn this and create a safe environment for students. Jill, I'll end here with the White House. It was interesting to watch the briefing on Thursday. We noted that on Wednesday, President Biden uh, made a point of questioning the death toll numbers coming out of Gaza, saying, you know, I don't trust Hamas numbers. Well, that led to a lot of questions for John Kirby, the spokesperson at the White House on Thursday, saying, are you being insensitive? Are you, you know, being dismissive of this? And he's like, no, this is the deal. You know, I'm I'm not being harsh. You know, what's harsh is Hamas's conduct here, the way they treat the Palestinian civilians, the way they lie about things. It was a pretty remarkable exchange. We have it up on the Mo News Instagram account. But it is interesting here as the um, administration continues to back Israel here overwhelmingly and does come as, again, there is a divide among folks on the left between progressives uh, and the rest of the party. And it will be um, interesting to watch how this unfolds in the coming weeks and next year's election. Okay, we have plenty of news after the break. But for now, we want to talk about bowl and branch betting. We have talked about uh, on this podcast how we only really want to endorse things that we truly love. 
Well, bowl and branch bedding and sheets is definitely one of those things. We've had them in my house for a few months now. We absolutely love them. Bowl and branch, good for all seasons, but particularly that summer of record heat. Well, it was definitely a bit easier because bowl and branch sheets are really soft and breathable. So that is Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L and Branch Sheets. They are made with organic cotton and without some of the harsh chemicals that are used by other brands. Mosh, I never even realized how many companies use very harsh, potentially dangerous chemicals in their sheets. Yeah, it's something I learned as we learned more about Bowl and Branch. And these sheets really do get softer with every wash. So give you and your loved ones a better night's sleep this holiday season. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping when you use the promo code MONEWS at BolandBranch.com. That is BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S. It is a limited time offer and there are some exclusions. So see the site for details. Time now for the speed read from USA Today. Some economic news. Is it a last hurrah or just another strong showing from an economy that continues to defy the doomsayers? The U.S. economy shifted into a higher gear in the third quarter as a surge in consumer spending offset a dip in business investment. The nation's gross domestic product, or GDP, which is the value of all goods and services produced in the U.S., well, that expanded at 4.9% in the July through September period, according to some new numbers from the Commerce Department. And that is up from what was considered pretty solid growth of 2.1% in the second quarter. It also marks the fastest pace since late 2021 when the nation was climbing out of the COVID-induced recession. So, Moshe, I think the bottom line here is that for about two years now, the economy is just kind of brushing off this crazy high inflation that we've seen, rapidly climbing interest rates. And these persistent recession forecasts, thanks to splurging customers who just keep spending money, a lot of economists believe that growth is finally poised to slow markedly in the months ahead and possibly slip into recession amid a host of threats like those higher long-term rates and the resumption of student loan payments and a potential government shutdown. Yeah. So, I mean, the American consumer continues to do amazingly, but the economists who are watching this do warn that there are some warning signs here. Americans have saved less. Their incomes adjusted for inflation fell over the summer. So that could mean that the pace of spending will ease in the coming months. Keep in mind, the American economy is very much a consumer economy. It's all about people buying things. So that is why you saw those great numbers from the last few months. The question is, how long will that last? Will the instability in the Middle East, a potential government shutdown coming in a couple of weeks, the long-term interest rates, the 30-year mortgage rate, all the various things that we're seeing, will that have an impact here? Will that slow things down? And the big question, will it lead to a recession in 2024? In September, economists surveyed said that there was a 48% chance of recession over the next 12 months. That is down from a 61% chance. At times last year, Jill, they were predicting a 100% chance of recession. That is now down. Who in their right mind would predict anything with 100% certainty? Well, in this case, Goldman Sachs, Jill. They're crazy, Mosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, eventually, eventually you'll be right, right? Eventually, like a a broken clock is right twice. Is right twice a day, (laughs) correct? Barclays is forecasting a mild downturn that could feature 375,000 job losses by mid next year. Though at the same time, economists there say they wouldn't be surprised if the American consumer continues to bail us out by continuing to spend money. Uh, And then the big question. 
what will the Fed do? Will they continue to increase rates? Everyone's sort of expecting one more rate increase. So how will this number impact things? And then the big hope is that interest rates start to come down next year with inflation sort of regulating itself. And will they be able to do that in time to prevent a recession? They've sort of given us the soft landing. What would you call this? A soft takeoff? And so we'll see if the Fed can continue to kind of ride this economy um, home without any major failure. Some tech news from Axios. It is the one-year anniversary of Elon Musk taking over Twitter. And usage has plummeted, now known as X. The site has hemorrhaged users and advertisers in its first year under Musk's ownership. Engagement metrics are down across the board. App downloads fell about 38% globally. In the U.S., mobile app downloads fell 57%. Usage has decreased. Monthly active users fell 14.8% globally and 17.8% in the U.S. The average time spent on the app and the number of sessions have dipped. And some users just walked away. 30% just stopped using the app entirely. The last of the sad stats, web traffic down 7% globally, 11.6% in the U.S. for the first nine months of 2023 compared to the same period uh, in 2022. After his $44 billion takeover, it is obviously not the news that investors want. Fidelity, one of Musk's equity co-investors, marked down the value of its Twitter shares by about 61% through the end of August. Yikes, worth a third of what it was before as far as they're concerned. Um, Jill, on the upside, the traffic for Elon Musk's personal profile and post, up 96% over last year. So at least there's that for the big guy in charge. Uh, It does come as traffic is up on other social sites, TikTok, Instagram. So this is not a social media-wide trend. This is a Twitter issue. And so there have been many questions about Musk's strategy. Did he have a strategy going in here? What's his game plan? Of course, he's trying to create the X Everything app, of which Twitter uh, X is a component of that. Though he's had a lot of controversy here in terms of who he's let back on the platform, what's become of the platform. You know, I will say candidly, I continue to use it for coverage, but I find it really difficult to navigate now because he's selling blue checks to everybody, which means there's a bunch of people with blue checks before. If you had a blue check on your account, it was a reliable account. You put out verified information and now anyone and their mother can literally buy a blue check and put out crazy information. I mean, there are people, Jill, with millions of followers putting out verifiably false info on a daily basis about this war right now. And it is gangbusters. And, and, and it is beyond my imagination to see how many retweets I see the conversation around them. And the number of people now coming to us on our Instagram account saying, is this true? And I'm like, no, it's fake. This is also fake. This is also fake. And so this continues to be an issue that even Musk himself recognizes. He admitted in September that the company's ad business was down 60%. Um, and so he recognizes that the changes he's made has uh, pushed advertisers away. They don't want to be associated with this content. And so We'll see what comes of it. Right now, the estimates are that the ad business is down more than a billion dollars over the last year. And that comes as he was trying to make more of a profit, trying to grow things at X. He did uh, put a CEO in charge a couple months ago, Linda Yaccarino from NBC. And so, you know, we'll see what the game plan is. I mean, there certainly is still a large user base, not as much as it once was. And it comes as, you know, we've seen this here, Meta put out their competitor, Threads. Jill, have you threaded recently? I haven't, but I also haven't really gone on Twitter recently. I go on Twitter 
just to kind of gauge what's going on. And also when I write the Mo News <laughs> The world's on fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I sometimes take tweets from verified sources, but it's hard. It is so hard for me to figure out who's legit and who's not legit on um, Twitter. I will say whenever I go on, the only comments that I get is that there's another Jill Wagner that stars in these Hallmark yes. movies. So basically, I usually have like three or four messages from someone being like, you were great. And, you know, one day from Christmas or something. And, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I mean, I don't um, respond because it's not me. And I don't know. I, I don't really feel like being like, hey, the wrong Jill Wagner. We're going to get other we're going to get alternate Jill <laughs> Wagner on this podcast at some point. We're going to have to send her. She another. won't acknowledge me. I've tried. I've ta- uh-huh. I've reached out to her. I've been like, Hey, I'm the other Jill Wagner, and um, nothing. <laughs> She's like, there's only one. There's Jill only Wagner, one. Jill Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sticking with tech news from The Verge, Google adding a range of new AI-powered features to Maps, including more immersive navigation, easier to follow driving directions, and better organized search results. The end result is an experience that will likely remind many users of Google Search. The biggest takeaway here is that Google wants maps to be more like search, a place where people can obviously come get directions or find coffee shops and EV chargers, but also be able to enter vague queries, things like fall foliage or latte art or things to do in Tokyo and get a whole bunch of actually useful information. Google said it wants people to use maps to discover new places or experiences all while under the auspices of its all-powerful algorithm, Google saying AI has really supercharged the way that we map. It plays a key role in everything from helping you navigate, helping you commute, discover new restaurants, where to go, when to go. These are all really important decisions that people are making all the time. With Google locked in a tight competition with Apple, Microsoft, and others around the use of AI, the company is banking on its more familiar and popular products like Google Maps to help give it a leg up over rivals. And as Google search becomes more AI driven, it's only natural that these other products follow a similar lead. Jill, I'm sort of ready for Maps 3.0. I feel like we once lived through the MapQuest phase and then we sort of had Google Maps uh, and we continue to have Google Maps. Google Maps, of course, bought Waze and they continue to operate as a separate app. And it'll be interesting to see what AI does to make apps more like search. Uh, One of the things they claim they'll be doing is to analyze billions of user uploaded photos to help people find random items. Like apparently, according to this article, coffee shops that offer lattes with panda faces. Not something I've ever searched, but maybe that's something you're looking for. And that's something Google wants to make sure you can search for within Google Maps. People can type in specific questions into Maps, kind of the way people are using TikTok these days, much in the way they do with search. And then you can get a list of results for nearby businesses, you know, really take Uh, Google Maps to the next level. One of the useful tools in recent months that I have found, Jill, is the gas prices component that they have on Google Maps that you search for a gas station and it'll show you all the gas stations nearby you and the price of gas there. So you're like, oh, I'll go that extra mile for, you know, to save that extra 20 cents or whatever. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, I didn't know Um, that was even a feature. Oh, it's a feature. I'll just go to the gas station right along the expressway and my husband will be like, are you insane? Like that is, yeah. that is the most expensive gas station they on Long Island. They charge an extra 80 cents. <laughs> they charge an extra 80 cents a gallon for people like you, Jill. There's suckers everywhere, Mosh. So apparently this new version of Google Maps, which we still don't know when it'll be coming out, uh, but they are going to be incorporating AI into this. They'll be incorporating a lot of images here, aerial photos, street imagery, et cetera, to really give people a better sense of where they're going and where they should go. They also want to answer one of today's most burning questions. 
is the electric vehicle charging station I'm driving to actually going to work? Uh, Jill, I've talked about this last year when I rented an EV. Studies have shown that roughly 25% of chargers are down or inoperable at any time, uh, despite what you might see on Google Maps. So Google's going to try to get some real-time information into Google Maps, all useful stuff. Um, I guess the question they ask is, Will users want this? How do they ensure they're giving you stuff you need without putting too much stuff into the app? Jill sort of reminds me of Facebook. If you've tried the Facebook app recently, (laughs) there's just so much junk in it. And I'm like, listen, all I use Facebook for at this point is to find out if it's my friend's birthday, like whose birthdays are coming up. And like even finding where the birthdays are is like such a pain. Like Zuckerberg, what have you done to the Facebook app with all this nonsense? So message to Google, make maps better, but don't screw them up. Because ultimately, I will not fall back on Apple Maps. I know Apple Maps people. I will never be an Apple Maps person. I am a Google Maps convert. I will continue to evangelize for your product unless you take it the direction of Facebook. So somehow, Mosh, I must have integrated my Google Calendar with the Facebook birthdays. Yes. Because every day... I have like a random person that I'm barely right. friends like, with. There, you haven't talked to since sixth grade. <laughs> yeah, you're like I haven't talked to since sixth grade. Should I wish you a happy birthday? And I'm like, how? I don't even know how to get rid of it. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> And from USA Today, dry January meets sober October. It is the latest booze-free trend. And while it's about to be a wrap, that does not mean non-alcoholic beers and other booze-free beverages are off the drink menu. The holiday season is big for mocktails and non-alcoholic options as well ahead of dry January. And it turns out demand for non-alcoholic beers, wines, spirits, and cocktails has truly become a year-round trend. Sales are growing. Non-alcoholic beer, wine, and spirits have increased 32% so far this year. Yeah, I'm seeing it more and more even in New York City, uh, especially among Gen Zers who you know, have decided to partake in other substances and not alcohol um, to get their kicks, to get their highs, or none at all. Interestingly, in some of the articles about Sober October, which I guess is a very new thing, I hadn't heard about it till this year, they've been talking about the health impact of even ditching alcohol for one month, healthier skin, better sleep, weight loss, and lowering your risk for future health scares. And more of the numbers here, non-alcoholic sales totaled $524 million over the past 52 weeks. That is up again, though, just as a point of comparison, total alcoholic beverage sales, $67 billion over the same time period. So uh, $67 billion to $520 million, uh, still domination nation for uh, booze. But still notable that people are, you know, feeling comfortable taking that break. You know, I remember a lot of peer pressure, you know, if you're not drinking alongside everyone else with drinks. And I feel like that's no longer the case. And from the BBC, more than 50 years after the Beatles broke up and with two of the four members passed, the band announced on Thursday the release of their, quote, last song. It's called Now and Then. And it's made with the help of AI. With a little help from AI. (laughs) It's based on a 1970s demo recording by John Lennon. It was completed last year by Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. The four-minute, eight-second track will be available on Thursday, November 2nd, as part of a single that's paired with Love Me Do. Well done. Which is the very first Beatles single that came out back in 1962 in England. Now and Then comes from the same batch of unreleased demos written by the late John Lennon, which were taken by his former bandmates to construct the songs Free as a Bird and Real Love. They were released post-mortem in the mid-1990s. Now and Then was originally written by John Lennon after the Beatles split up in 1970. 
And it has circulated as a bootleg for years. Yeah, after Lennon was shot in 1980 outside his New York City apartment building, Yoko Ono, his widow, gave the song to McCartney. Then with the help of AI, director Peter Jackson was able to clear problems in the original track by separating out Lennon's original vocals from a piano he was using. The much clearer vocals then allowed McCartney and Ringo to complete the track last year. The new single also contains George Harrison's guitar playing that he recorded nearly three decades ago, new drums by Ringo, McCartney's bass, piano, and a slide guitar solo that he added as a tribute to Harrison. It's a whole mishmash of things. So I'm looking forward to listening to it. Uh, McCartney and Star, uh, McCartney and Ringo. It's funny, like it's weird to, for me to refer to him as Star. He's Ringo, like right. he's a first name <laughs> type guy. Uh, they both sang backup. Next Wednesday, the day before the song's release, a 12-minute film will tell the story of the new recording, and we'll play a bit of it uh, on this podcast for everyone next week. All right, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Mosh, what are you watching? So uh, World Series begins tonight. Diamondbacks, Rangers, 8.03 p.m. So I'll be checking that out. Yourself? As I mentioned on the podcast a couple of days ago, I have not seen The Terminator. So my husband, as expected, is insisting that we watch it this weekend. And I also heard from uh, many listeners, actually, who were like, are you kidding? You have to watch The Terminator. Just in time for the 40th anniversary of the film, Jill. All right, Mosh, what uh, light beach read are you reading this weekend? The Secret History of the Women of the CIA, Jill. It's a book by Liza Mundy. We have her coming up for an interview on the podcast in the coming weeks. Um, Find this fascinating, really telling the story uh, behind the women of the CIA who helped with the agency's biggest victories over the course of the decades. So uh, I'm excited to get into that. What are you reading? Okay, so I actually gave some misinformation last week when I said that my book club was reading Vacation Land. Uh, I was mistaken. We are reading Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. There is also a series based on the book that is out on Apple TV. It is set in the early 1950s, and it follows uh, Elizabeth Lott, whose dream of being a scientist is put on hold in a patriarchal society. And when she finds herself fired from her lab, she accepts a job as a host on a TV cooking show and sets out to teach a nation of overlooked housewives and the men who are suddenly listening a lot more than recipes. I cannot wait. Our reading is all about female empowerment this weekend. All right, Jill, what are you eating this weekend? Well, speaking of cooking, um, (laughs) I have an amazing chicken recipe. I had found it online when I first got an air fryer during the pandemic. And then for some reason, I mean, just life and busyness, I basically just stopped cooking on the air fryer or really cooking in general. But I brought the air fryer back out and I made the chicken and some Brussels sprouts and I forgot how good it is. It, It was delicious. I will share the recipe on my Instagram account, which is Jill R. Wagner. It involves some brown sugar, paprika. Uh, so good. The other Jill Wagner. That, <laughs> the, re- the Hallmark Jill Wagner ain't sharing this recipe on her account. <laughs> I actually feel like I will make your wife very proud with this. Like whenever I cook, I feel like Alex is somewhere saying, oh, I'm proud of you, Jill. Um, all right, Mosh, <laughs> what are you eating? So my parents are in town from Texas visiting baby, visiting their uh, granddaughter. My mother made a uh, Moroccan lentil vegetable soup called Harira, which is something I grew up with, my favorite soup. So I'm chowing down on some home cooking that she's uh, brought to our kitchen here in New York. All right, Mosh, well, I hope 
you and your family have a really nice weekend, and I hope they're really enjoying their time with their granddaughter. Yeah, and we're getting these unseasonably warm temperatures here. So we were walking outside on Thursday, um, grabbed lunch together in like upper 60s, low 70 degree weather. So it's it's been great. All right, well, we'll thank them for bringing the Texas heat to New York. Um, and thank you guys for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, Share this with your friends. It will really help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And if you really like what we're doing here at Mo News, you want to support this podcast newsletter, uh, our Instagram account, please consider joining Mo News Premium over at mo.news slash premium. It's a way to support our independent journalism. And you also get access to our members-only Instagram account, members-only podcast, where we have additional episodes, exclusive content on both platforms. All right, Jill, I'll see you and everyone else on Monday. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.